0: Today, we are continuing a series. I want to say hello to anybody watching on YouTube. Shout out YouTube. Come on, say hello to them real quick. Yeah, we see you guys. Not really, but you see us. And uh, if you live anywhere near the Tampa area, we'd love for you to join us here at Palm City Church, and uh, we got a spot for you. But we're in this new series that we called I Promise. We need to make some promises. We need to make some commitments that aren't based on our feelings, but they're based on covenant covenant. Because that's how God does relationships. Last week we kicked it off with four promises that every relationship needs. If you didn't have a chance to hear that, I would encourage you to check it out on our YouTube channel. I think it's a foundational message no matter what type of relationship we're in. Maybe we're married. Maybe we're not. Maybe we were once married. and Maybe we're now not. Maybe we've given up on friendships. Maybe we've been burned. Maybe we're offended. Maybe we have bitterness and resentment in our heart. And it's okay to be there, but it's not okay to stay there. And God wants to help you process that. In his formula, the biblical model of overcoming some of those things that are real and they're tangible and they're painful is to work it out, not just in a Sunday service, but to work it out in a relationship, in a friendship. And so we want you to be a part of that. We kicked off the series last week. Today we're going to keep it going. But I want to tell you next week we've got a little flair to it, okay? The third and final part of the series is not on a Sunday, We have Saturday night service next week at 5 p.m. And so I don't know what you're doing, but cancel it and be here because it's going to be amazing. Seriously, be in the room next Saturday night at 5 p.m. We will not have a Sunday service. Our Sunday service is backing up to Saturday night. It's going to be incredible. And here's why you want to come, especially if you have kids, because we love you like that. And if you have kids and we're in a relationship series, we're going to provide a date night experience for you after the service to where you can drop your kids off or leave them in our wonderful Palm City Kids area. And for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, you can go and have a date. You can be an adult. Okay, amen, everybody. I saw some, I saw some um, new families with babies, so you, got, you guys should love your church right now. If you've, if you've ever loved your church, it should be this moment. Um, but we, we, want, we don't want to just preach to you. We don't want to just talk at you. No, we're, we're in this journey together, and if you need that type of experience, you need to drop them kids off and go love on mama a little bit. Or if you're a single mom and you just need some time, I just need a call. I just want to eat by myself for once. I don't want to put anybody in a car seat to go... then then make sure to take advantage of that. Invite your friends. We want to serve you in that way. Are you ready for the series today? All right, so last week was promise-making. We talked about how do you make promises, and we gave you four promises all of us need to make in our most important relationships. Today, we're going to talk about promise-keeping. That's why we're saying he's a promise-keeper. If we're going to learn how to do it his way, we've got to look to his heart and his nature in order to do that. But we've defined a promise as this. Here's the definition of a promise to us. It's a declaration. It's not a feeling. It's not a thought. No, I'm firmly declaring something, and I'm declaring something now that I will need at a later date. So I may not need the promise now, but there's gonna be a day in the days ahead where I'm gonna need to stand on a promise that I made when my emotions weren't at an all-time high. I'm going to need to trust God when my feelings are all over the place, when I'm on an emotional roller coaster. I'm going to need to put my feet and my faith into something. And so we want to stand on God's word and make some promises that we send ahead of us for those tough days. Because if you've been in a relationship any amount of time, I can tell you, tough days are coming. Right? There's ebbs and flows to our relationships, and we need to stand on God's promises in those seasons more than ever before. How many know your feelings change? If I, if I did everything I feel like, I probably wouldn't be a pastor, Mike. I mean, just real talk. If I always followed my feelings, I would probably not be a good dad. I would probably uh, not even be married. Who knows? But our feelings may be real, but they're not necessarily right. So I'm not saying be an emotionless savage and have no feelings. No, feelings are good. God gave you emotions. The Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrow. Okay, so God understands emotional, but you can't be emotionally led. Your feelings can't call the shots on your life. We need some commitments and some promises that we make today, a pre-decision decision, decision, if you will, that we send into our future so that when we face those tough days, we're not waiting to decide what we're going to do. We're already rooted in what we're going to do together. Does that make sense, everybody? The bottom line is this. we, We really just can't trust our feelings. We need to send our commitment ahead of us so that we can protect ourselves from making bad decisions that are emotionally based. Here, here's, the, here's the big idea of the series. Well, what if I'm unhappy? What if I'm hurting? What if, What if they're not honoring their end of the deal? Well, here's what I would say to you. A promise according to God's word is a willingness to be unhappy while we work it out. It's a willingness to endure hardship, knowing that joy is on the other side of this challenge. It's how Jesus endured the cross. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So whatever your hard day is, you need to know that God has an other side. You're not going just to it. God wants to bring you through it because the true test of every relationship is not how you do when things are good. A true test of every relationship is not how you roll when you're in agreement and you're super happy. The true test and quality of every relationship is, are you willing to commit to it even when you're not happy? That's the whole premise of this series that we've got to get it inverted a little bit. Currently, we've got soft skin and thick hearts. We're easily offended and our hearts are not soft, they're calloused. But God wants us to thicken up our skin a little bit, not be so easily offended and soften our heart even though we may have given up on relationships before. But each relationship that we have, no matter which one you're in, has three phases. There's like that honeymoon phase, not just for married couples, for even new friends, where you're like, oh my gosh, this is my BFF forever. We're gonna do life together, I love this person. But at some point, that person may let you down, that person may offend you. If you are newly married, come on, ride the wave of that honeymoon, but there's another moon coming that don't feel so good. What you celebrate about them on the honeymoon phase, you, you, you find that you criticize about them when that honeymoon's over. Wow. Like her second toe's longer than her first one. <laughs> His breath. Lord Jesus. <laughs> Brother needs a tic-tac. Like, like we, we, we be, oh my gosh, he always leaves the lights on. Like, oh my, are we, are we trying to light the city? I know you're the light of the world and all, but what are we doing here? And we just begin to kind of criticize things that we used to celebrate about that other person when that honeymoon's over. That's a phase I would call delusionment, where we're just like, man, we're disoriented. It's not what it was. We're not even sure we can honor the commitments we made. But God is calling us to power through those tough seasons and get to the, the phase of commitment. That no matter what, just like Jesus is with us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you even to the end. That's how God sees us relationally, and that's how we need to see each other at every level. If we're going to do that, we need to make some promises. Here's promise number one. Come on, say, I promise to respond, not react. Oh, I made you say it. This one's tough for me. I want to be honest. I, 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 you know, if, if you're short-tempered, if you're kind of quick to just, bah, bah, you know, you're a little explosive at times. We need to let the Holy Spirit soften us and not just go around re- reacting to everything that doesn't go our way, because that's most of life. But we need to have a response to everything. Re- when you think about reacting, reacting is really reenacting the failure. It- it's making them rehearse what they're not instead of speaking along with God's word to what they are. When, when we react, we just we start tearing down, and we-, and we react. We create tension in our homes, and it creates anxiety and it creates, I don't know where I stand in this moment in this relationship, but we need to be like Christ was. And instead of reacting, we just simply need to respond. The Bible says this about Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. I kind of want to retaliate. Anybody with me? We want to be eye for an eye, but Jesus says, turn the other cheek. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He said, it can't be my problem and God's at the same time. And although I need a lot of grace, I'm not going to love grace when I receive it, but hate it when somebody needs it. I'm not going to live a life of loving it on this end and loathing it when it's got to go out from me. I've got to love to give it as much as I receive it. That is the standard of Christ. And that's what God's calling us back to. And I just have this vision according to God's word, that what would happen if a group of people begin to live their lives this way? Of course, we serve a perfect God and we all are imperfect people. But even in our imperfections, what if we postured our heart towards our spouse, towards our children, towards our parents, towards our employer, any authority, our president, the governor, anybody who is in a relational place of position or, or, or God is set in established order. What, what if we just change our posture toward them, and begin to see them as Christ sees them. And then instead of tearing down, we begin to show honor, even if it's not well-deserved. What if we begin to live that way? Because I'm sure you would agree reaction-based relationships fail. They never work. Has anybody had a reaction-based relationship? How's that going for you? Yeah, it doesn't go well when I live in that vein. Instead of responding as Christ has called me to, I'm reactionary. It's definitely not as good. What, what can happen is it can be dominating. There could be a dominating. It, it, it could just be like I'm going to domineer with my voice so my tone goes up. We, we just yell a little bit in order to get our way. What about this? What if there is no noise? What if it's the silent treatment? And we just, through silence, create this lack of affirmation and it creates this confusion that damages our relationships and causes us to go away from what God's word says. We don't need to be overcome by evil, but like the Bible says, we need to overcome evil with good. The proper response, instead of reacting when someone doesn't do what we say or doesn't act like we think they should act or didn't meet our expectations, which we forgot to communicate, by the way, what if we just took the posture? Properly, I'm just talking about me, I don't know about you. What if our proper response become as husbands, I'm just gonna love my wife anyway. And I'm gonna love her as, the Christ, as Christ loved the church. And I'm gonna live with her with understanding because Lord knows I don't understand. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen more than I talk and try to see things from her angle. What if wives maybe, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dude so just careful here. What if we just showed a little more honor and respect to our husbands? Well, he's not, he's not following Christ. Well, do you think he's going to start with the way you're treating him? I mean, what if we just went ahead and spoke to the man he could be, even though he's not that man today? What if you just had this mindset, there's a king inside of him because he serves the king of kings. And I'm just going to talk to that guy until I see it on the outside. I'm going to speak to it on the inside. What if we just begin to love our neighbor? I mean, this is radical thinking as ourselves, because, you know, we love some me. We love some me. But what if in every relationship, in my friend group, in, in my city group, in my church family, outside of my church family, what about those people that don't even go to church? What if we begin to show love and honor to them with no strings attached? I'll tell you what would happen. This church, you wouldn't be able to fill this church up. I mean, there wouldn't be enough seats in the community to reach people with that kind of love as Christ gave us. Promise number two, say, I promise, I promise. to focus on the good not the bad. Oh, I'm going to fall on the sword again. This one's tough too. If you ever have uh, that, that mindset in order to see things that could improve, it's like kryptonite. It's a blessing if it's in God's hands and it's really nasty outside of God's redemption. That we can see things that need to improve. It's beautiful. Please make things better. But also, simultaneously and as much, if not more, make sure we're speaking to things that are good, not just things that need to improve. So, yeah, maybe we need to put a little salt in that meal. But, hey, you had a meal. She made a meal. She went to the store. She filled the pantry. She, she put something together so that you could have something to eat. What if we begin to focus on what's good and not just what's bad? Now, this is challenging in any relationship, man to man female to female, uh, male to female in biblical marriage. I mean, it's taxing and it's difficult, but it's God's standard that we either complement our differences or we demonize them and we let it drive us apart. Kristen and I are this way. We agree on a lot of things. We're alike in a lot of ways, but we're different in a lot of ways. If I want the house cool, she's cold. She wants it warm. If I want to give a little discipline, she wants to give a little grace. Right? Anybody else? Right? And so what we have to realize is we're better together. That God paired you with someone that's not like you so that you could have a better overall experience in life. And that's what God wants. What if we focus on the good and not just the bad? I love the evangelist Billy Graham. Anybody a Billy Graham fan? I mean, the guy was faithful. He loved Jesus. He was an evangelist. So he traveled around preaching the good news. A lot of people say that Uh, Through his life of faith and commitment to Christ, more people have found a relationship with Jesus than any other one person. That's kind of mind-blowing. To God be the glory. But that meant he had to be gone a lot. He traveled a lot. And when his wife, Ruth Graham, was interviewed, they were like, how do you do... I mean, you got a bunch of kids. Y'all have been fruitful and multiplied. Good job there. But how, how do you do it with him gone so much? You know what her response was? I'll tell you how. Five months being with Billy is better than 12 months with any other man. Now, was that true? Maybe. But if you've ever been alone with your kids, I'm going to say it wasn't really true. (laughs) No 12 months with Billy would be better. But you know what? I'm not going to focus on what I don't have. I'm going to focus and put my energy and my faith in what I do have. Five months is better than 12. That's the only type of kingdom math that works is when it doesn't make sense on paper, but because you made an internal choice to see your relationships as God sees them, I'm not going to be reacting. I know manipulation, yelling, dominating, ignoring never works, but I'm going to think on what is good. That's what Paul told us in Philippians 4. He said, think on things Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What if we became a people? What if we became a church? What if we became a community of believers? And we we just became a community in this heart of our city that God has placed us that chose to filter our thought life put a little parameters on it, and we filtered it through those things. Now, some of us may not be thinking very much if we have to filter it through those things because our thoughts do not line up with that filter. But God's word says, come on, think on things that are true. Is there anything right? Is there anything excellent? Is there anything praiseworthy in your relationships that you can shift your focus from what's wrong to what's good? I believe God will honor that. The third promise, say third promise. I love this one. I promise to talk. Not walk. We've got to be like Jesus. We've got to have that mindset toward our spouses, towards our friends, tw- towards those that God has placed in our life, our parents. That I'm not bailing on this. And I'll work it out. And I'm making a decision now before the pressure comes that I'm going to be faithful to this relationship. I'm not going to be unfaithful. I'm making a decision now that I'm not going to give the devil a foothold in this relationship. I see the way culture is defining marriage. I see the way culture is defining parenting to children and go your own way, do your own thing. Do you, boo? It ain't working. No, you need to do the word. We need to do scripture. We need to do a relationship with God because our way isn't working, but God's always does. If we're gonna let the one who designed them define them, then we've gotta build our life around scripture and God's word in order to do it. Check this verse out in Ephesians four. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now that's a house rule in our house. I need you to know that. And sometimes I'm up 3 or 4 days at a time. <laughs> Cuz I just honor the word. I'm not going to sleep while we're angry. I'm really tired now. But the Bible says be angry. Did you know anger's not a sin? It's when you let it become sin. That's why the Bible says be angry and sin not. So there's there's a, it's okay to be frustrated. It doesn't make you ungodly when you're you're tempted and when you're just a little, ah, ah, ah. It's what you do with that anger that determines the result of your position with God in that moment. Yes, yeah, so, so you need to be free. I'm freeing some men right now. I'm freeing some women right now. I'm freeing some students right now. You're mad at your parents. They don't just understand me. Oh, they've been there. I know it doesn't look like they've been there in a while, but they know what it's like more than you think they know what it's like. And that's where we need to put our trust not just in what people who have no experience say and living a different way than God's way. We need to trust our parents more. We need to trust our spouses more, understanding that I'm not gonna refuse to talk because it's when I refuse to talk that I send an inv- invitation to the devil into my home. It, it, silence is an invitation to the enemy to have a position in a relationship that he wouldn't have had if you would have just talked it out. Now, I'm talking to men here because we don't have as many words as our, our counterparts. We love you ladies. But we've got about four times less the amount of words, and we usually spend them by 5 p.m. And you save them all until 5 p.m. <laughs> so the math doesn't really work. Come on, ladies, say something. I need to hear you, right? But, man, we gotta, we got we to gotta not give our words away just all day sporadically. We've got to reserve those for the relationships that matter most. We've got to be willing to talk, willing to work it out willing to listen, willing to lean in when we have those small windows of opportunity with our children to where usually their answer is good, great, but when they start to open their heart, are we ready to lean in and listen? Are we ready to be a sounding board, not just an advice giver, but ears that hear them and help them navigate the season of life they're in? So we can't react, we have to respond. We, We can't walk we got to talk. Come on, can we do that? we we got to live our lives in this way. And I want to end today by just giving us a few handles. And I really want you to listen not just with your head in these last few moments. I want, I want you to listen with your heart and your spirit. I believe, I believe God wants to go a little bit deeper in us in order that we don't just write some things down, some good one-liners some things that we'll never remember after today. But if it's okay in this last 10 minutes together, I want to do my best to just pastor and, and minister to us a little bit in this area of relationships. Is that okay? So it's great to do all those things that I've already talked about. But as I've mentioned, in any relationship, there's going to be the hard day where you don't remember the very practical steps. You're going to need something else To put your hands on, put your arms around, and to build your life on. And that's why in Ecclesiastes, if you've ever heard the verse, it says there's a time for everything. You guys, you probably know the song, The Birds. For every season, turn, turn. Right, there's a song written about it, but it says there's, we live in seasons. As believers, we don't just live in days and weeks. We honestly live in seasons. And we filter that through days and weeks. But the Bible says... There's a season for every activity under, this, under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. It goes on with a long list, but it landed right here for me where it says there is a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. Now, in order to understand this concept, we got we to gotta trail back a few thousand years to the book of Genesis. Okay, it's the first book of the Bible, which, by the way, we're doing a Bible reading plan as a church, the Bible Recap. And we just kind of concluded Genesis. We're on day 43. You can jump in right now with your day one and run this play for the rest of the year with us. But when we were reading it this year, something kind of stuck out to me in this idea of gathering stones instead of scattering stones. The story in Genesis is the story of Jacob. Jacob, God changed his name later. Jacob became Israel. So there was Abraham, the the patriarch of faith. There was his son Isaac. And then Abraham's grandson is Jacob. That's kind of the lineage, that God's made a promise that he's going to make them as numerous as the stars and he's going to bless them. But how many know on the way to that blessing, there was a lot of challenge. There was a lot of obstacles. There was a lot of hardship. Well, Jacob ends up wanting to link up with a a little hottie. He's like, I need a wife if I'm going to do this thing. If I'm going to be as numerous as the stars, I, I I need a wife, I need a counterpart. And so he goes to Laban, this man named Laban in the Bible. And Laban, like, like tricks him a little bit. So Jacob was kind of a trickster in his heart. And then, and then he met a trickster who tricked him more than he ever tricked anyone else. It, it's funny how God does that sometimes. But, but Laban tricked him and said, hey, if you'll work for me, I'll give you my daughter. So after 20 years of that relationship of being faithful to it and working, I mean, J- Laban wasn't always super honest. And so Jacob got fed up and Jacob bailed. The Bible says that he took off running and Laban wasn't going to have it because that was his daughters. So he was like, no, 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 bro, I'm coming after you. So he chased him down. And when he found him, they were about to duel it out. I don't know if they were going to chop some heads off. I don't know what they were going to do. They were going to fight. But Jacob made this proposition to Laban. And here it is in Genesis 31. It says, come now, let us make a covenant. Let's make a fresh promise together. You and I. And let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, those in close relationship with him, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap and they ate there by the heap. When I was reading this, what encouraged me about this is what can you also do with a stone? You can throw it. The stones here represent the hardships of relationships. It represents the bitterness, the disappointment, the disillusionment, the anger, the frustration, the unmet expectations. That in in culture, it says, if they hurt you, hurt them back. If they threw something at you and wounded you, wound them back. It's an eye for an eye. But the Bible says there's an alternative to that type of response. Instead of being reactionary in nature and doing to others as they've done to you, what if you went the Christ-like way and instead of throwing stones, you built an altar before God and gave all your pain to him? What if you laid them all together and piled up all the disappointment and hurt and bitterness and rage and failure and heartache and you just made them a sacrificial altar before God? And it says, you know what? I'm gonna serve you. I'm going to forgive them, and I'm going to let you handle the results. This is what Jacob did with his father-in-law, Laban. So number one, if you're writing notes down, I think this mindset of gathering stones reminds us that we need to first acknowledge our own mistakes. I really can't control what you do with your failure, but I am in full responsibility of my shortcoming. I, I need to take ownership of everything in every area where I've missed the mark. So I don't know what you're gonna do with your end of the bargain, but as for me and my house, I've gotta serve the Lord. And God calls me to forgive even though you may not be forgivable. It's the nature of Christ. So I'm first, if I'm gonna live a gathering stones mentality in my relationships, I'm not gonna repay an eye for an eye. I instead i am gonna take that hurt and pain to the foot of the cross where Jesus paid a price and gave us what we didn't deserve. That is forgiveness and grace. And in the same way, what I've received, I'm gonna now give to others in this nature. I'm gonna admit fault. I'm gonna live an honest life. I'm gonna decide I'm gonna own my mess. And I'm gonna be honest about the areas where I haven't measured up. And I'm gonna lead your choices in that part of the relationship up to you. Here's what the Bible tells us in Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what Jesus taught us. He said, don't look at them until you look within. Then I don't need to see the big plank in your eye and for, in, or the splinter in your eye and forget I've got a plank in my own. Sometimes we do that. We, we're a great judge of others and we're a great defense attorney for ourselves. We somehow rationalize our shortcomings and condemn you for yours. But all have sinned and followed short of the glory of God and need the grace that he provides. So i got to acknowledge my mistakes. Number two, this one's hard. I've got to abandon my right to get even. This one's hard. But there's so much blessing on the other side of this act of obedience. If, even if you're justified in your mindset, in your behavior, the Bible says... You've surrendered your rights to get even when you decided to follow Christ. When you decided to go the way of Jesus, you no longer are in the driver's seat of your life, but you've relinquished that control, and you've abandoned your right to get even. And Christians, we don't take revenge. I know there's a show on Netflix. Revenge. Don't watch it. It's fun to take revenge. But it's not the way of Jesus. And God calls us to a higher way. And he says, if you forgive them, I'll handle them. That's what the Bible says in Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, some of you are like, yeah, get them, Jesus. Hair, teeth, and eyeballs. Make them pay. I'll follow you every day. That's also not the heart posture. But we've got to acknowledge our own mistakes. I can't control anybody else, but I'm in full responsibility of my heart. My heart, my responsibility. And I'm going to not give them what they deserve. I'm going to give them what God gave me. That's what I didn't deserve. That's forgiveness of sins, healing in my body, a home in heaven, and an abundant life while I live here on earth. I didn't deserve any of that. But that's what God chose to give me. So in the same way, because I want to be like God and I'm made in His image, I'm going to extend to them what He gave to me. Number three, write this down. Apply God's grace to others. Ooh, this one's tough. We love grace when we receive it, but we loathe it when we have to give it. This is this is this is our culture. This is why we have cancel culture. This is this is why we 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 tear people down and we throw them out as soon as things don't measure up it's because we don't want to see them win we, we want to see them suffer and there's something in us that we have to lay down at the foot of the cross and let God's grace that's been applied to our heart go through us as we apply it to them in any relationship in any relationship that's successful what you find are two people submitted to one another and submitted to Christ. That is, the, that is the premise of every relationship. Their hearts are surrendered to each other and they're given to Christ. And you need to know with Jesus, there is no relationships that's irreconcilable. God wants to reconcile. The heart of the Father is reconciliation. He wants us to be reconciled first to him and then to them. And I wanna give some balance here because if there's been abuse and if there's been things that are unfathomable, I'm not saying every relationship goes back to how it was. It may not reconcile, but it can have forgiveness. Reconciliation, it does take two, but forgiveness just takes you, that you can release them and get that bitterness and anger out of your heart, realize that healing is possible Realize that there can be a better tomorrow, even though there's an ugly yesterday. You can realize that with Jesus, you're never too far gone for a fresh start and a new relationship. And that we wouldn't only be a people receiving God's grace, but we would apply it to others. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters as well this is the heart of God in relationships maybe the hardest thing to do this side of heaven I love you when you're lovable but love doesn't start according to scripture until you're unlovable everybody loves the lovable but can you love the unlovable That's the standard of the Bible, but you need to know God's going to give you the grace and the power to do it. If we'll take what we've received, and that is the grace of God, and we'll extend it to others. Amen, church? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you today for your word and your scriptures that are true and powerful. We thank you today that the word is alive and active sharper than a two-edged sword, doing surgery in our heart, separating soul and spirit, dividing joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Today, I pray that's what happens. We don't wanna leave the same. We didn't wake up and come to a church today just to go through the motions and leave unfazed. No, we wanna surrender our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, right now, we ask you to do what you wanna do in our hearts in our minds, and in our relationships. If you're with your spouse, I would encourage you to hold their hand. And if you're alone, I would pray I would ask you to open your hand right there before the Lord as a sign of just receiving. God, we bless every relationship today in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you've declared we're the head and not the tail. We are above and not below. You, you've made us that we can do hard things. We can overcome hurt and disappointment. And we can serve and submit our lives to the ones you've put in our life because it's what you did for us. For Christ did not count himself equal with God, but emptied himself of every right he had to take on the nature of a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Today, God, we ask for your power to not only make great promises, but to keep them. If you're here today, You really don't have the capacity to give grace until you've received it. The Bible says in 1 John that we love because he first loved us. Maybe today the next step is not just working on your relationships with people. Maybe the next step is working on your relationship with God. It starts there. It's what he wants to do first and he's not looking to make you an improved version of yourself. He offers you a new life, not just turning over a leaf, but stepping into a new creation to where the old you is gone and the new year, the new you can reign true. If that's you today and you realize that you're not as close to God as you should be, or maybe you once were, and you wanna give your life back to Jesus, make a commitment to Him, it's really a promise. It's a promise that I'm not gonna follow you just because some guy was encouraging me to do it at the end of a message with some music playing. (laughs) That's great, it's powerful. But you're making a promise and a commitment to God today that says, I know you'll help me and I'm gonna commit when it's easy and I'm gonna stay committed when it's hard. If that's you today and you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, no one's gonna call you out or embarrass you in any way, but we wanna help you with a prayer. If that's you, I would encourage you on the count of three just to raise your hand very quickly and very quietly with every head bowed, every eye closed. You know there's a a disconnect. There's some separation between you and God and you wanna make it right today. Would you raise your hand? One, two, three, raise your hand. Yeah, great, one, yeah, I see you. Great, 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 slip it up, slip it right back down. This is your moment. I want all of us to pray this prayer out loud for the privacy of those who are meaning it. Would you say this, say, Jesus, today I give you my heart and I give you my pain and I give you my fear and I give you my disappointment. And ultimately I give you my sin. Would you create a new heart in me? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you make me a new person and let me help others find you? Come on, make a promise. I promise to not just be a Sunday follower. I promise to live my life centered around you. And as long as I have breath, I'm yours and you're mine. In Jesus name. Amen. Can we celebrate Change Lives Church? Come on, put your hands together.